Dark Winter Nights True Stories from Alaska is produced with support from the University of Alaska Fairbanks Communication and Journalism Department. UAF Kojo. Tell great stories. Many of us who live up here in Alaska, our family and childhood friends, all live very far away. That means we tend to develop close bonds with our friends up here. They become as close as family, and it's these friendships that make living in Alaska so wonderful. But when people develop close bonds like that, especially men, we can sometimes struggle with how to express our love for each other. Often we find the best way to express that love is through the time-honored tradition of practical jokes. It's the male equivalent of saying I love you, when actually saying I love you would just be weird and awkward for testosterone-filled, rugged outdoorsmen like us. Okay, I'm technically a testosterone-filled, rugged indoorsman, but you get the idea. In today's episode, we have several stories of Alaskans pranking Alaskans with mixed results. In this episode, a guy named Guy tells the story of a child's magical garden. And you used to go down to the dump and... People on the weekends would take stuff down there and just lay it out there by the gate. And I go down there and somebody, and I think it was Emily Kaiser, she had this flower shop here in town and they had left all of these silk flowers. Well, as soon as I saw them, I knew what I was gonna do with them. <laughs> you know, I grab a whole huge arm load I go over to the truck and I'm loading up this truck with all of these silk flowers and I go right back over to my friend's house. Then we'll hear Linda Brandenburg tell her story about a couple of guys trying to pull a practical joke on a woman only to find that Alaskan women stick together. Whoever was there would escort her to her trailer and just comfort her, make sure she everything's going to be fine, no, there's no problems with the bears, nothing like that. And we've never had one in our yard, whatever. And so... Um, the guys come up with this idea, and they decide that one night they are going to scare the living daylights out of her. <laughs> and they're going to use that bear rug. This is Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska, the Alaskan Practical Jokes episode. I'm Rob Prince. First of all, here's a quick prank story I told at our April 2016 live event about trying to immunize my daughter against being duped by April Fool's jokes at school by trying to dupe her myself. Here's, well, me. First of all, I think an April Fool's prank should be trying to convince someone that something crazy is true when it's not. All right. I had a colleague once who for April Fool's gave me little mini Oreos with toothpaste instead of regular filling in them. And I, I just felt like, I felt, I'm still mad about that, because to me, that's not an April Fool's joke. And I gotta say, it was really hard for me to finish the bag, too. That took a lot of work. <laughs> so I believe an April Fool's joke is about convincing someone that something crazy is true when it's not. And I also feel it's my duty to prepare my daughter so that she know, I, I wanna be the first one to, of April Fool's to let her know it's April Fool's, so she doesn't get pranked at school. I feel like if you're gonna embarrass yourself, you might as well do it at home, right? So one morning I got this idea, I was like, okay, what am I gonna do? 
I gotta prank her somehow so that she doesn't go through the embarrassment of school. What am I gonna come up with? It has to be something good, but not too good that she's really devastated afterwards. So uh, she's getting ready for school and I say, look, I have, I have some kind of exciting news for you. A friend of mine has a pony and uh, he's going away for a month in the summer. And <laughs> yeah, where were you, okay? I thought this was safe. Said he's going away for a month this summer, just a month. We're gonna watch the pony. I thought a month was not long enough. I thought it'd be okay. Her eyes got big and glistening like those little stuffed animals at the store with like the giant eyes and just like radiating rainbows. I thought, oh no, this worked a little too good. So then I go, April Fools. And just as quick, her eyes shoot daggers at me and like fire shoots out of her ears. And uh, so I learned that a month with a pony is a lot longer time to a little girl than it is to a, a, a grown adult. Um, but I will say that I have now officially cured her of April Fool's. This year I tried to, I went up to her and I said, listen, I have some really good news. Um, Due to budget cuts, school's going to have to close for the rest of the year. This is your last day of school. And she was like, April Fool's dad. And that was me, Rob Prince, at our April 2016 Dark Winter Nights live event in Fairbanks. Our next story is a short one told by one of the students in the storytelling class I taught in Valdez last fall. Guy is a well-known character in Valdez with a ton of stories to share that run the spectrum from hilarious to bizarre. It's clear he loves kids and this story is about a well-meaning prank he pulled that was intended to spark joy and pride in the heart of a little girl. Here's Guy. I still can't believe that you let me do this. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, don't make me regret it. <laughs> I will. This happened about 24 years ago. I went over to see a friend of mine in the subdivision here, and he wasn't home, but his uh, wife and his daughter were outside. They were working on a garden out there in the yard, and she had a big 16 by 16 foot area all dug up, you know, and they were just getting finished planting seeds and stuff in there. And uh, so she shows me that she made a small garden about four feet by four feet for her daughter, Rachel. And so, you know, I'm talking to him and I'm asking him, well, you know, what have you planted in there? And it was flowers and vegetables and stuff. So she tells me that my friend Donnie isn't going to be back for a while. So and you used to go down to the dump and people on the weekends would take stuff down there and just lay it out there by the gate, and I go down there next day, and somebody, and I think it was Emily Kaiser, she had this flower shop here in town, and they had left all of these silk flowers. Well, as soon as I saw them, I knew what I was gonna do with them. <laughs> you know, I grab a whole huge arm load, and I go over to the truck, and I'm loading up this truck with all of these silk flowers, and I go right back over to my friend's house, and it's, you know, like I said, about nine o'clock in the morning. So I knock on the door, and Robin says, you know, I told you Donnie wasn't going to be back 
for another day or so. And I said, yeah, but I said, I want you to come outside here, you know, because her daughter's in there eating breakfast and stuff. And I said, could you come out, Robin? I said, I want to talk to you about something. So she comes out and I show her. I said, look at all of these flowers. And I said, you know what I want to do with these flowers? So from where their trailer was, they had a haul trailer, you know, it was one of these dualies that ends up having um, the sidewalls and the roof and stuff. So you couldn't see Rachel's garden from the trailer and stuff. And so we go over there and I take all of these silk flowers and we run over there and we plant them all in her garden. And so Robin says, well, I'll go in there and you know get her coat on and her boots and her mitts and we'll be right back out. And I said, okay, so I'm out there and I'm smoking a cigarette and they come out and said, hey, Rachel, you know, your mom was telling me about your guy's garden again. So, you know, she's, yeah, and I'm asking her about what flowers and vegetables, and she's got to ask her mom, you know, keeps as telling her what we they planted in the garden. So we're walking toward there, and we can see her mom's garden, and, you know, it's just dirt. There's nothing but dirt there. Well, as we come walking up around that trailer, she sees all of these flowers, and her eyes are like this, her mouth is, and, and she's looking at her garden, and then she's turning over, and she's looking at her mom's, and she's turning back, and she's looking at hers, and she's looking at her mom's, and I said, hey, you know, you're a lot better gardener than your mother is, and I said, maybe you should help her. Well, you know, she goes over there, and she runs over there, and she goes, and she grabs two of the flowers like this, and she goes running back over to her trailer, and she plants one of them on one side of the steps and one on the other side of the step. And so we were laughing about that and everything. And I come back the next day and Donnie's back and planted all over the yard are all of these silk flowers. <laughs> and that's my story about the silk flowers. That was Guy from Valdez. He told that story at our October 2018 live event down in Valdez. This is Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska, the Alaskan Pranks episode. I'm Rob Prince. Guess what good news I have for you, dear listener. Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska is coming back to Lathrop High School's Herring Auditorium in just a few weeks. We will be live and in person on March 9th at 7 o'clock p.m. There's more information at darkwinternights.com. Linda Brandenburg is the co-owner of Valdez U-Drive. She's lived in Valdez for 29 years. She shared this story at that same October 2018 live event in Valdez. Here's a little context for those of you who live outside of Alaska that is relevant to this story. Eielson Air Force Base is about 45 minutes east of Fairbanks near the small town of Salcha. Here's Linda Brandenburg. I love my in-laws very much, and this is all based on, on them when they were a lot younger. Uh, you, Many of the people here may remember Holly and Dave Johnson, and they lived here a good 20 years but they didn't live in Valdez first. They first lived, before, before Valdez, they lived in Salcha, Alaska. And I always wondered, what were they doing in Salcha, and where is Salcha before I ever saw it? 
But they also, uh, the story before that was that they met very young, Holly and Dave did, and when he turned 18, he enlisted in the US Air Force. And they lived in upstate New York, so he was drafted and down in Savannah, Georgia, went back up, got Holly, who at the time I think was 16, and decided they would get married and he'd bring her down to Savannah so that he could start his career. Well, within the year, she had Jeff, who is now my husband, and um, they continued to have more kids. In the process, Dave was going to be relocated to either Vietnam or Eielson Air Force Base. And now they had Jeff, a little baby in the oven, and a couple more kids hopefully planned. So they, they took Eielson Air Force Base to avoid the Vietnam thing. So off they go, and this is in 1960. They lived on Eielson for six years, and then it was time for Dave to get out of the service. They don't have hardly any money. They're a very poor little family, and so Holly looked in the paper and talked to some people and found out that there were 14 acres in Salcha, Alaska that had a three-room cabin. And the owner was Breen Kennedy, Kennedy. Jeff used to always say it like it sounded like Kennedy. So I always like, Kennedy? And he's like, no, Kennedy. Can okay. Well, anyway, she writes to him. He was in Seattle. And she asked him if he would have pity on them and sell the property to them and if they could make payments. The property was only $3,500, which must have been like a huge amount of money back then, but he agreed. So the family loaded up and moved to Salcha, and this, this little cabin had a living room, a kitchen, a bedroom, and then a little out room in the house that was where they had the kids sleep in bunk beds. It had a wood stove. It did have electricity and faulty running water, so they had to use an outhouse. And um, Holly learned that first winter that in, it, it, she'd had lots of winters, but she learned in this cabin that you didn't spill water or anything on the floor in a cabin at 40 below because you had your indoor preschoolers ice rink and that was not fun. So anyway, that was one of the lessons they learned. Um, the summer of 67, Dave had a really wonderful friend named Jerry Stahl. And Jerry loved coming over to the Johnson's property all the time because, well, he lived in the barracks on the base and this was a fun family out in the woods in the middle of nowhere and he just loved being out there and outdoorsy. Dave and Jerry and Dave's brother John went hunting and um, they caught a, they shot a black bear. And that was like a really cool thing that they got that done in their young lives, you know, mid-twenties. So anyway, Holly and Dave had that rug turned, or the bear turned into a bear rug and they left, they made sure that the head was still on it. Okay, that fall, Jerry is all excited. He gets this letter from a gal he doesn't even know and she's wanting to pen pal with him and she lives in 
Kansas City, it turns out, and she is a prissy little lady, but very sweet and nice, and he, he writes back to her, and she said, I, you know, how did you find me? And she said, oh, my friend had a picture of you, and I thought you just looked like such a nice man, so I wanted to write to you. Anyway, months later, they have fallen in love, and he's thinking they should get married, so why don't you move up here to Alaska? And give it a shot and we'll get married and start our, our lives here. And she was adventurous enough to, okay, I'll do it. So Holly wanted to make sure she was comfortable, so she got a little trailer from her friends and got that stored on the property. And, and then Jerry, on the weekends or whenever he could, he'd stay in this little outbuilding where he always stayed. And so Joe is this lady's name, and there was one Thing about her that they were kind of worried about, and that was she was incredibly afraid of wild animals. And she's moving to Alaska, and there could be a bear or something really scary out there in the woods. So she's kind of scared about that. Anyway, it's May now, and so we all know in Alaska by then we don't even have darkness. So it would be dusk when she'd want to you know, go to bed, and it'd be like 11, and so one of the guys, whoever was there, would escort her to her trailer and just comfort her, make sure she, everything's gonna be fine, no, there's no problems with the bears, nothing like that. You know, and we've never had one in our yard, whatever. And so um, the guys come up with this idea, and they decide that one night they are going to scare the living daylights out of her. <laughs> and they're gonna use that bear rug. And so, Holly, this, this is the, the part where the guys would regret very soon what they did. They let her in on the joke that they were gonna do this. So, Holly took pity on poor Joe. This was gonna to be torture. She was already friends with her. This was gonna to be too scary for her. So she let her in on the, this prank and said, this is what we're gonna do. She coached her when the guys weren't around. She showed her how to, to aim a 22, and it was unloaded. Holly made sure of that. And Holly also said, when, when, you guys, when the guys are gonna start this, uh, when Jerry comes around to the trailer, you're gonna be screaming and acting like you're just horrified and help, you know, help whatever. And, um, I'm going to give you a signal at one point when Jerry gets close to the door of your trailer. You're going to be able to see me. I'm going to raise my arm up. And that's when you're going to throw the door open and raise that rifle at him. <laughs> so Joe's like, okay, okay, I can do this. Yeah. So anyway, the night finally comes and Holly is excited. Dave is so excited. He's going to be watching this, and he just can't believe how funny this is going to be. And Jerry puts on that bear skin after they've, you know, he's walked her to her trailer, and you're tucked into bed, and everything's fine. And it waits about 10 minutes, and then he crawls, or sneaks over in that dusk. And Dave's standing by, watching from the cabin, and Holly was sort of on the other side of the cabin, watching. But, well, anyway, where, where she knew that Joe would be able to see her. So <laughs> Jerry goes over to that trailer, sneaks up, goes back to the back, and is like, 
starts rocking the trailer. I'm making these sounds. And she's like, Jerry, no! Jerry, help me, help me, there's a bear! Just screaming and just, just totally, totally hamming it up. And so Dave is... <laughs> this is the best. You know, just laughing. And so Jer- Jerry's still going around and <laughs> just really, really letting her have it. She's shrieking and screaming. Holly sneaks into the house really fast, comes back out. She has, she described to me, a World War II Japanese seven millimeter rifle. <laughs> And so it's time for her to give the salute, you know, to her friend. And Jerry's getting over by the door, and Holly, you know, Holly raises up her hand, and, and Joe just throws that door open. Jerry's right there, and she's like this with the rifle, you know, and all of a sudden Holly just lets that shotgun off. And Jerry is... And Dave is, oh, Jerry's dead. Oh, my God. And once they kind of calm down and it's a little bit quiet, the laughter from Holly and Joe just is, they're hysterical, just hysterical. They really let them have it. Amazingly enough, they got married a month later. Linda Brandenburg. She told that story at our October 2018 live event in Valdez. The world is changing. We have time for a little bonus story tonight, so I want to share with you the one time I was able to prank a coworker that actually kind of worked. Usually it's a total failure. I just get, I get super excited about pranks and it's very hard for me to contain myself and keep a straight face when I've got something going on. And so most of the time people see them coming about hundred miles away. My favorite person to prank is my colleague, I guess you could say. Antagonist might be a more accurate description of Jason, who I work with in the Department of Communication and Journalism at UAF. Fans of this show might remember he was the one who was supposed to rescue me after I got my tongue stuck to a metal flagpole in winter a few years ago in the episode about kids getting their tongues stuck to metal in winter. And uh, he took his sweet time (laughs) rescuing me, which was uh, a little bit traumatic for me, having my head stuck to that flagpole for longer than I intended, feeling rather helpless. Jason and I have a relationship a lot of people describe as kind of like a very old married couple. We bicker and poke fun at each other basically constantly and so that means that Jason is my intended target for most of my practical jokes at work but most of the time those practical jokes just fall totally flat. For example one time I had this little Angry Birds game that would play the Angry Birds theme song over and over and over again and so I kind of dismantled it, took just the sound box, I went into his office and tossed it way up in his ceiling up above the drop ceiling, 
in hopes that it would create a sort of disembodied, creepy sound that would drive him nuts and he'd spend forever trying to figure out where the noise was coming from. Unfortunately, my timing wasn't great. I chose to do this shortly after we'd already gone on summer vacation, so all that happened was Jason came into the office once, heard the weird music, shrugged his shoulders, and figured I was trying to do something stupid, and then went home, and when he came back, like, a month or two later, the battery had died. So that one didn't work at all. But this next prank I tried did work pretty well. It all started when I got this software that allowed me to record my desktop at work. Now, I got the software for legitimate purposes. It was going to allow me to record myself demonstrating software to online students and reviewing videos that they turned in for them. But I knew there had to be some sort of other use for software like this. And so I put my little conniving brain to work and came up with a plan. Now, you may or may not be aware of this, but there are ways in which you can remotely access a computer and operate it, just like you're sitting right in front of it, even though you might be thousands of miles away accessing through the internet. We have that ability in our department. Jason uses it all the time. And so I came up with a plan to make it look like someone had hacked into my computer and was doing weird things with it. The way I was going to implement this joke was I was going to record my desktop with the mouse moving around, opening applications, doing all sorts of weird things, and then finally opening up a Word document and starting to type something. And then what I would do is play back that video, make it full screen so it just looked like my desktop, and then disconnect my keyboard and mouse so that anytime I tried to type or move my mouse around, it would look like I had no control anymore. So I recorded the video, waited until Jason was nearby, then really quick, hit play, made the video full screen, went behind my computer, disconnected the keyboard and mouse real quick, and then called him in, trying to sound nervous and anxious and not <laughs> giddy. <laughs> Which apparently I was able to pull off to a degree because Jason came in with that sort of look of like, what stupid thing have you done with your computer now? And I said, I don't know what's going on, but my mouse and keyboard isn't working, but something seems to be moving my mouse around. So he came in and had a look, and of course he had to try the mouse too, even though I just showed him it wasn't working. And then that's when the trick kicked off, and I could see Jason's face shift to terror. <laughs> he was convinced someone had hacked into my computer, and they were about to do terrible things with it. So immediately he runs around behind the computer, presumably to disconnect the internet cable or something, and uh, cut this person off. And while he's back there rummaging around trying to do things, the phantom operator opens up Microsoft Word and starts typing something. And so I holler at him and tell him to come around and look at this. And he comes around and he gets to watch as this computer, as this phantom operator starts typing, Jason is a dumb, and then he left. <laughs> Disgusted. So unfortunately, he didn't get to see the whole message, but I'm pretty sure he got the gist. That one practical joke that I was able to pull off is going to satisfy me until the day I die. Thank you, Jason, for being gullible enough to fall for it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska. The Dark Winter Nights staff is currently hard at work on our next live event, which will be March 9th at Herring Auditorium. 
You can get more information at darkwinternights.com or on our Facebook page. If you'd like to hear past episodes of Dark Winter Nights, you can find them on darkwinternights.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Our show is edited by Ryan Peterson and myself, Rob Prince. Story consultation by Lori Neufeld. If you have a true story from Alaska you'd like to tell, contact us at darkwinternights.com or email me directly at rob.prince at alaska.edu. Remember, these are the stories we tell up here in Alaska on Dark Winter Nights. I'm Rob Prince. Dark Winter Nights True Stories from Alaska is produced with support from the University of Alaska Fairbanks Communication and Journalism Department, UAF Kojo. Tell great stories.